0: Welcome to the Buker and Friends Podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Bucher. Rick Bucher. Welcome to another episode of Bucher Friendless, a subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Bucher. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Bucher and on Instagram at Rick underscore Bucher. We're coming out a little bit late as a result of the holiday weekend, uh, the holiday weekend affording me the opportunity to do something that I rarely get to do, which is, I watched a movie, Rocket Man: The Elton John Biopic. And as it turned out, I rarely, for whatever reason, rarely get a chance to uh, keep up with as many movies as I'd like, but had the opportunity to watch it. What was it Saturday night with my wife? And then my kids each wanted to see it. We rented it. Thanks courtesy to Apple TV and the Holiday, we were able to watch it. And I was able to watch it not once, but twice, but three times. And so, yeah, uh, for those who may not have seen it, I will say it's Bohemian Rhapsody, a darker version of Bohemian Rhapsody, which I also uh, really enjoyed, but in any event... Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, My Martian was another movie where I saw it three times. It was the only movie I saw like within a year's period, and it seemed to be on the plane every time I got on a plane. Anyway, I didn't plan on necessarily talking about <laughs> Rocket Man. Uh, I also didn't plan on this being a friendless episode. Uh, I planned on doing a end of training camp wrap up with NFL vet and Super Bowl champ Will Blackman. But he is headed for London, England, to do a two-month stint analyzing the NFL for Sky Sports, which is the British version, basically, of DirecTV. Now, we will catch up with him once he gets settled in over there. But truth is, I'm happy to dig into the biggest NFL story of the week without him. And my guess is that he would just be, uh, you know, let's let's face it, He'd get in the way because he's going to be nicer than I am. There's going to be no holds barred on this. We talk about the biggest NFL story of the week. That would be, of course, the moves by the Houston Texans. Or, more specifically, the moves by head coach Bill O'Brien. As most of you may know, the Texans don't have a general manager. There's ownership, the McNairs. Then team president, Jamie Roots and then head coach Bill O'Brien. That's how the top of the Texans masthead reads. The next name is Jack Easterby, vice president in charge of team development. There are 11 more vice presidents listed, but not one of them for player personnel or scouting or in any way that would suggest that anyone has more control over the roster or player selection than O'Brien. Uh, The directors for player personnel and scouting clearly answer to him, and they're way, way down uh, on the masthead. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds about what the Texans gave up and what they acquired, and if they're more or less equipped to pursue a Super Bowl than they were before the moves. I'm going to leave that to my media brethren who steep themselves in the NFL on a daily basis. I want to talk about the decision to let Bill O'Brien take this joyride in the first place. How many times do we have to see this play backfire before owners of sports franchises permanently remove it from their playbook? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily a Texans fan. It's just, man, when are they going to realize, not that just the Texans, every owner of every sports franchise, when are they going to realize the head coach and the GM can't be the same person? There's a reason in wars that the generals operate from a hilltop or a location far from the actual battle. It's more than keeping the brains of the operation from getting killed. Well, that's part of it. It's allowing them to see what is needed and where, dispassionately, without getting caught up in seeing their favorite lieutenant leading a charge or overreacting to a private who gets cut down. So, you may ask, some of you that are astute, astute sports fans, How have two of the most successful coaches in their respective sports, Bill Belichick of the Patriots in the NFL and Greg Popovich of the Spurs in the NBA, how they managed to do it? It's pretty common knowledge that both of them have final say when it comes to personnel. I can explain. And you may be asking, what's wrong with looking to find the next one? Nothing. But you have to know what you're looking for. And you have to know what makes... Bill Belichick, and Greg Popovich, the rare birds that they are. Simply handing someone all the authority that they have in hopes it will turn them into Belichick or Pop is like paying a player a max contract and making him the face of your franchise and hoping he'll play like a player who can justify that salary and carry a franchise. And trust me, teams do it. Certainly fans call for it all the time. Now, a lot of what I'm about to outline may already be obvious to some of you, if not most of you. But it's clear to me that it's not obvious to the McNairs, owners of the Texans. And you may at some point find yourself thinking that the coach of your favorite team might be capable of being the next Pop or Belichick. That's, that's why I'm outlining this. And this really comes down to, it's some about Bill O'Brien. But it's more about understanding why Bill Belichick and Greg Popovich are the outliers that they are. And that if for some reason, some unknown reason, a owner, a team, wants to give all of the control to one person, then wouldn't it make sense to know what it is that makes Belichick and Popovich so unique that has allowed them to be the exceptions? Because quite honestly, I don't know of too many situations where giving both roles to the same person has worked with any degree of success. So uh, if your team's thinking about doing this, here's how you can tell if, like Bill O'Brien, your coach is not capable to living up to Pop or Belichick. The first is Papa Belichick became champions for their present teams very early on. I can't underscore enough how priceless that is. That's obviously not all they're doing because champions aren't built in a season. But look at every coach who has had a long run with one franchise and built a dynasty. They all won right away, inheriting a team that was ready. Pat Riley won his first year as head coach of the Lakers, taking over Paul for Paul Westhead 11 games in the season. Phil Jackson won a title his second year with the Bulls and started his three beat with the Lakers in his first year in LA. What that does is earn patience from fans, media, ownership alike. Patience that allows a team to go through the inevitable cycle that those two sports, and I'm just talking about I'm talking about football and basketball. Baseball is just a completely other entity. Uh, it 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 doesn't the, the rules don't quite apply. And hockey hockey has some of the same issues but i just don't know a whole lot of people who care enough about hockey for us to utilize that as example and besides they've got a lot of wrinkles and a lot of issues that the nfl and the nba are beyond so i'm i'm sticking primarily to the nfl and the nba winning a championship for any coach coming in early you earn the fan you earn patience And because you're going to have down years. Now how far down you go depends on how well you take care of today and tomorrow simultaneously. But the salary cap limitations in the NFL and the NBA practically force any team that reaches the top to at some point take a step back. You can't just you can't ride the same horses. It's why Pop and Belichick have the longest tenure by far in their respective sports, because they've managed to think about both today and and next week, and make their plans for both mesh. Now, in the case of Belichick and Pop, they also won for franchises that had never enjoyed the thrill of winning a championship before. And it didn't take them long to add more. Pop won the Spurs' first title in his second season and four in his first 10 years. Belichick also won his first Super Bowl in his second season. Now, why is that important? Again, because it earned them a long leash from ownership, media, fans. As coaches or GMs, and I think probably the most important aspect here is with ownership. Because as we've seen uh, more and more today, ownership uh, gets impatient. They're spending more and more on their franchises and so they want results quicker and quicker. Now, as coaches or GMs, neither Belichick nor Pop were compelled to make moves to win today at the expense of tomorrow or next week. There, there are so few coaches who ever enjoy that luxury. But Pop, after winning the first ring, refused to play Tim Duncan, his future MVP, the following year in the playoffs because he had a piece of torn cartilage in his left knee. Now, Duncan was running sprints. He, was, he wanted to play. He was doing everything to demonstrate that he could play. But Pop took the ultra-cautious approach. I don't know if he could have done that if he hadn't won a ring the year before. Maybe. Maybe. But it certainly made it easier. He had some currency to spend, and he spent it. Now, as a result of not playing Duncan, the, the defending champs were knocked out in the first round by the Phoenix Suns. Again, how many coaches in any sport would do that? Look at what the Warriors just did with Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson just this past summer in their pursuit of a 3 P. That's something we will, we will address in, in one of the upcoming podcasts about all of that, because I've had quite a few conversations with people about how all of that went down and where they go from here. Nonetheless, uh, Belichick also took a step back after winning that first Super Bowl. They missed the play, the Patriots missed the playoffs entirely the next year. It was by, you know, by the, barely. uh, It was last, uh, last second deal. Um, Tiebreakers were the the difference maker, if I remember correctly. But then he proceeded to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Three in four years, three in his first five years. Now, it would be 10 years before he won another one, but not once in that time do I remember any serious talk about Belichick being kicked to the curb. Pop went through a similar championship cold spell. Uh, but it wasn't until just recently that I saw him make moves that seemed to seemed to be short-sighted. The LaMarcus, Marcus Aldridge and what they paid him, it seemed like they were going for broke. They were acquiring players that didn't necessarily fit the culture of the Spurs but they were trying to get Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili another championship run before they retired. And I would say that a case could be made that we've seen Belichick make a couple of similar moves that we've suspected are the same, to keep Brady in the hunt, to see if they can squeeze yet another Super Bowl out of him. So, uh, yes, they continued to go to the playoffs, the Patriots, all but one of those years. But it was a full 10 years before he'd win another one. Before I go on. I want to mention uh, our friends at the Republic Jet Center. There's a reason you choose to fly privately into the New York metro area, and that's to avoid delays. Now, when flying into New York City, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York, should be your only choice. Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. I know those are the popular uh, destinations or the popular airpa- airports, private airports in the area. But as a result, the advantages that you get from flying private are no longer advantages. The flights going in and out of those places are stacked up. So not only can you land and take off on time without issue at Republic Jet Center, but getting to the city is as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride, 25, 30 minutes at the most if you take a a private car, all of which their white-glove concierge service, whether it's helicopter or the car, we'll gladly arrange while you chill in their brand new 1000 1000 excuse me 100,000 square foot facility. It's so big, I can't believe it. With an array of you got snacks, beverages, whatever you want while you wait. And if you've never flown private, find out what it's all about by visiting www.republicjetcenter.com. It may just be worth your while. And for those who already are part of the private jet set, Mention this ad and RJC will provide a discount on your refueling costs. All right, here's another vital ingredient Belichick and Pop share. A trusted personnel advisor, they came to know when they were just starting out and developed a relationship with over the years. For Pop, it was R.C. Buford, who we met while he was working as an assistant coach under Larry Brown, both of them at the the time. R.C. was already there. Pop came in for a year and worked as an assistant coach uh, in the University of Kansas program uh, under Larry Brown. And then Pop took all that back to his other job, which was head coach at Pomona Pitzer. For Belichick, it was Scott Pioli, who was a college student at Central Connecticut, driving down to New York Giants practices when Belichick was their defensive coordinator. It's a little bit, uh, I don't know if I'm being indulgent here, but it's a little bit like my current podcast producer, John Libby. I met him when I was doing a radio show in San Francisco a few years back. He was the producer actually on another show. I just I saw how he worked. I saw the ideas. I saw the energy and I said to myself if I ever start my own enterprise, I'm going to hire John. I want him to be a part of it. There were no politics involved. There was no looking at a resume. There's no, you know, trying to find somebody who fits. It was, I like the way this guy works. And I tend to believe, uh, my understanding or my belief, is that Belichick with Pioli and Pop with Buford, it was the same thing. Like it was at a time where you're getting to know somebody and you're getting to know who they are, not necessarily what they do. And you see somebody who I don't know if it's you share a brain with, but you see somebody that you want to work with and believe that they can make you better. It's the only reason why Belichick would start a friendship and ultimately bring Pioli along, and the same for Pop with with Buford. So that's how, at least that's how I imagine. Belichick came to the conclusion that he wanted Pioli as a right-hand man, and same for Pop and RC. Belichick hired Pioli when he became the Browns' head coach, and then Pioli followed him to the Jets and the Patriots, that brief interlude with the Jets. Uh, RC was the guy Pop handed over the GM title to in 2002, and I can promise you RC is not just a figurehead. Sometimes there's people around the league who will suggest that other GMs, uh, but it's, I don't know if it's jealousy or just trying to knock down a competitor, but it's not from what I understand. Pop Pop has the final say, but to my knowledge, he never makes it without knowing exactly how RC feels and why about any given move. Now, does Bill O'Brien have a Pioli or an RC? Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... He hired Jack Easterby away from the Patriots and tried to hire their current director of player personnel, Nick Casario, but neither one of those relationships can compare to Belichick and Pioli or Pop and R.C., and that that is important. They are two people who share the same brain, the same idea, who've developed over years their concept of what a successful franchise and successful football is all about. That goes into all their decision-making and their separate duties as they go about them. It's simply O'Brien and Easterby, or I don't even know who he leans on the most. That relationship isn't built from the same bedrock as Pioli and Belichick or Pop and R.C. Ultimately, he didn't get Casario, but I'm not sure it would have mattered if he had. Uh, That's because... O'Brien's moves in the last week, smack of someone who has been head coach of the Texans for five seasons and whose one playoff win came against the Raiders, who were forced to play with their third-string quarterback, Connor Cook, after Derek Carr broke his leg with two weeks left in the regular season. And then Matt McGloin, their uh, second-string quarterback, hurt his shoulder early in that game against the Texans. Now, no, no coach or GM confident he's going to be around trades two first round picks and a second rounder for left tackle Laramie Tunsil and wide receiver Kenny Stills it just you don't even have to know anything about Laramie Tunsil he plays left tackle so you know yeah he must be pretty important and if you're giving that that much up he must be pretty good and wide receiver Kenny Stills okay wide receiver all right Uh, In this day and age, quality wide receiver can be value. All that said, I don't care how good these guys are. And Tunsil's very good. Two first-round picks and a second-rounder. The smell of desperation is enough to make your eyes water. Yes, Tunsil is a great left tackle and should be a mainstay for years protecting Deshaun Watson's backside. I get that. But taking stills is ridding the Dolphins of someone who appeared to have fallen out of favor, both for his political stance and because he just hasn't been playing very well. If anything, the Dolphins should have been giving the Texans something compensatory for taking stills. Here's the other part. Tunsell also arrives looking for a mega contract, and all the leverage in the world comes with him now because O'Brien gave up so much to get him. Now, if O'Brien took all that into consideration then I need to hear the explanation as to why he did it anyway. Pop and Belichick have made their share of trades over the years that had people scratching their heads, too, at the time. Trades that later often live down that criticism, but not always. But you know what they've never done? They've never given away leverage or painted themselves into an expensive corner. They've never done that. If they made a move that was questioned, it was because it saved them money by moving someone looking for a big payday. And the question was, but how are they going to replace him? Or if they moved somebody who didn't fit their culture, people will question, well, yeah, but that's an awful lot of talent just for culture. All of which, you think Kenny Stills fits the Texans' culture? The McNairs had no reason to believe O'Brien could run the whole show because he never has, save for the two seasons at Penn State while all the turmoil was going on around Sandusky. Pop was the head coach at Pomona Pitzer for nine seasons and laugh if you want, but he led them to their first ever conference title and at a small school like that, I guarantee you he wore a lot of hats. I believe it's the same when it comes to winning championships. The guys who have the, the tenacity to lead championship teams at the professional level, generally they've found a way to do it at lower levels. They've won their state high school championship. They played, I mean, college gets a little, you're relying on more, more people beyond your own abilities, especially when it comes to college football. So there's an exception there. But generally, as a player or a coach, somewhere along the line, they've demonstrated that they know what the formula is to be the best at whoever they're competing against. And O'Brien hasn't demonstrated that. Even with Belichick. Belichick had five seasons as head coach of the Browns to figure out what works and what doesn't. All with Pioli, by the way, learning right along with him. And the value, as I've said, in that shared experience is immense. By the way, have you looked at the Patriots' current official masthead? I described the Texans earlier with the, I don't know, a dozen vice presidents. This is what I love about the Patriots. They are so consistent. And this can't all be Belichick. Again... There has to be a shared thought process with the Crafts. But on their official masthead, the Patriots' official masthead, under front office, it lists owner Rob Craft, his son Jonathan, who's the team president, then Casario, who's director of player personnel. That's it. No mention of Bill Belichick when it comes to the front office. Not on the official Patriots masthead. Now, there's another listing on the interwebs that has Belichick both as head coach and GM. And there is a different masthead for the coaching staff. And Bill, obviously, is at the top of that. So, but uh, even in in the other listing that has Belichick both as head coach and GM, it doesn't have Belichick head coach slash GM. It's got him listed as the head coach in one place and the GM in another place. In any case, uh, there's no question that Belichick has the final say on personnel decisions. We all know that. But this is what you have to understand about both Belichick and Popovich, that gets lost both in the clamor about their success as well as their fliny attitude toward the media a good deal of the time. There, and this is going to sound funny, when you think about how they respond to certain questions from the media. But there is an immense humility with both of them. Now, there's a fine line between believing you can always find a way to win and believing you're supposed to win. But it's an important one. It's the difference between being arrogant and relentless. And if they answer questions from the media and they come off as arrogant, it... I don't see that as arrogance. I don't see that as what fuels it. It's simply they're not going to humor questions or thought processes that don't fit with the way they think. They don't have the time for it. Again, they're, they're wearing two hats. So uh, making nice, uh, humoring people, taking the time to do any of that, it sounds like I'm giving them an alibi for being dickheads, but truth is, and and I hate to bag on my fellow media people, but some of the questions are they're begging. They're begging to be made fun of, and or they're not complete thoughts. Talk about this, or it's looking for the knee-jerk response, which I can tell you with Pop, you're never going to get. Now, Belichick, I think, is a little more difficult than he need be. But nonetheless, he he can get away with it. And so, uh, and, and here's the thing. From everything I know, Belichick does not pretend or portend to be anything other than a football coach. I've had the chance, the pleasure the honor, the privilege to cross paths with quite a few athletes and coaches who are in the conversation as the all-time best at their jobs. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Pop, Barry Bonds, Bill Walsh, Jerry Rice. And this is the common element that drove all of them. The fear of not being good enough. Of not taking something into consideration they should have. Of not being as prepared as they could have been. Of having someone not only appear in their rearview mirror, but blow right past them. They never took it for granted that they were on top. Or that they were ultimately, they might have believed they were going to get there, but they didn't take it as a, as a God-given right or certainty for me that takes more humility than most of us will ever know you're the you've proved you are the best and yet you feel you have this aching need to prove it again that someone is still there may still be someone out there doubting that you are the best or there's someone that's right there and wants to take that away from you that takes more humility because it's human nature by what I've witnessed, that for the vast majority, once they've risen to the top, they're going to do one of two things: enjoy the hell out of it, or embrace it as who they are now. That the mount that the mountaintop is their new residence. Belichick and the Patriots admit admit that they experienced that very thing after their first Super Bowl victory, and make no mistake. Michael, Kobe, Pop, Barry, Jerry, all of them enjoyed standing at the top of the mountain and believed that they could stay there. But they also believed that it was not a given, that the world was going to do everything in its power to remove them for it, from it, and that it was going to take an extra special effort, a greater effort than before to stay there, which meant they had to do everything in their power day in day out, to prevent that. Truth is, there are very few people wired like that. Where success in no way dulls their blade or their appetite or their focus, it sharpens it. I know we all want to talk as if we want more and more and we don't satisfy, we don't settle for less and all of that. A lot of people talk that talk. There are few, very few people who walk it. That's why there are so few repeat winners. Belichick, by my observation, wastes no time on anything other than the job at hand. And in his case, the two jobs at hand. He doesn't care how he dresses, what with the the suit jacket and tie that is straight out of a fourth grader's catechism photo or the hoodies with the sleeves cut off or the perfunctory press conferences. The hoodie look actually makes him resemble what he is in so many ways, a football monk. He hasn't taken a vow of silence, but man, he's come as close as someone in his position can. Look, when it comes to the Texans, it's the McNair's team and it's their money and they can do with it as they see fit. And I personally have nothing against Bill O'Brien other than his directive to his players revealed in Hard Knocks a few years back to lie to the media. Now that doesn't rub me the wrong way because I'm in the media. It rubs me the wrong way because I'm a partner in a media training company And we've studied how the price paid for lying to the media is not worth whatever momentary protection it might provide. The cover-up, as we like to say, is always worse than the crime. And I've never heard, over the years, I've never heard Greg Popovich or Bill Belichick say something that made me think they don't know what they're talking about. Thanks to hard knocks, I can't say that about Bill O'Brien. Now, my guess is that I've put more thought into why Bill O'Brien shouldn't have control over personnel than the McNairs did. Or maybe it's just different thinking. Because if winning a Super Bowl is their ultimate goal, then they believe giving O'Brien the kind of authority Belichick enjoys is the way to get one. Either that, or they've decided to let him drive the car as he so chooses, and if it winds up in the ditch, then they have a reason to throw him out of it. Problem is, O'Brien's successor now has to pull that car out of the ditch and deal with the necessary repairs. What bothers me most about all this is the disservice that it does to players like J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. Players capable, I believe, of truly being special, if they haven't demonstrated that already. And they may be deprived of experiencing what their talent and dedication deserves because of these decisions made up top. Players rarely get second chances, and they don't have long runways. If the McNairs truly understood what they have in those players, I'd like to think they would have given their front office structure a bit more thought, or their front office oversight. This isn't going to end well for anyone. Knowing that already is like watching one of Rex Chapman's block or charge videos on Twitter, if you've seen those. If you hadn't, check it out. Rex Chapman. I think it's just at R E X C H A P M A N. Anyway, these, these videos, you know something gruesome is about to happen to somebody. You just don't know how gruesome, which is why I hate those blocker charge videos. I don't know why I keep watching them. Then again, I also don't know why team owners keep allowing one person to wear both the head coach and GM hats. I do know this me watching those videos causes a lot less collateral damage. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of & Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Check out our other podcasts, Get Some by Gary Owen, who's just wrapped up a movie and has a special coming out uh, on Showtime on September 7th. Please check those out, as well as his podcast. And Age Groupies has to do with... Uh, middle-aged endurance athletes. Doesn't that just, that's got to wet your appetite. No, you should check it out, seriously. It's uh, very fascinating how people do endurance sports and live a normal life, which our two hosts indeed do, or at least allegedly. All right, in the next podcast we uh, will be another Buker friendless. Uh, Team USA knocked off Czechoslovakia in their first game. We will be closing in on the start of the NFL season. We'll look at, I believe it's Packers-Bears that's kicking off. We'll take a look at where we are with uh, Ezekiel Melvin Gordon, some of the running backs that may not be a part of this particular season, although we're getting wind that uh, there may be some movement with the Cowboys. We shall see. Uh, we'll get into all that. We'll get into a look at where we are with Team USA as well. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, there's a reason why the competition is stiffened. And it's not just because of the team that we're putting out there. Again, we'll discuss all that in the next podcast. Uh, Don't forget, please review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to be eligible for prizes, screenshot that review, whatever it is. Five stars, one star, leave a comment, no comment. Uh, We do appreciate knowing how we're doing. But screenshot that and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win gifts from us. All right, that does it. As always, in the meantime, thanks for listening.